0: This is the Roden Fellows Podcast. Capital One is a proud partner of the Roden Fellows Program, which provides opportunities to aspiring sports journalists from historically black colleges and universities to produce content, including this podcast throughout the year. Capital One supports this program as a part of their larger commitment to the advancement of students from HBCUs. Hello, everyone. My name is Scott. I am joined by Mr. Green author of free game. Um, it's a great book. I think you guys should definitely check it out. He will be talking a little bit more about it today, but Mr. Green, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Peace to everyone that's listening. So recently in the news, Donda Academy, um, high school team, they weren't able to compete in some tournaments. They've been kind of dropped. But we're not going to talk about that. I just want to know your opinion maybe on how do you feel about these high school and programs are just strictly kind of sports academies and they have all these four and five star guys. You feel like that's good for the game. And do those things translate to college? Like, are those programs good for recruiting?
1: Yeah, well, I have to start off by saying um, basically those programs are mirroring what's been going on in Europe for a long time already. Um, In Europe, they have basketball academies where kids pretty much become professional, sometimes around 14, 15 years old. Luka Doncic is one of the guys that, you know, might be considered the poster boy for academy schools. The, you know, these new schools that are popping up like Donda and others, they're pretty much mirroring European version of streamlining professional sports at a younger age. And and that's what's going on. So to answer your question, I don't have anything negative to say about it. Um, a lot of these kids are grown from an early age and when they become elite, they do need more resources around them to help them get to their next level. And, you know, some of these academies, um, provide that. Definitely. And piggybacking off of that, talking about elite from a young
0: age, do you feel that for the growth of a child's game, it is good for them to start playing AAU in first, second grade, or should they wait a little bit and develop their skills around that age?
1: It, it really depends on, I, I don't think there's a cookie cutter approach to anything when, when it comes to AAU or grassroots basketball. It really depends on the individual, depends on the parents and, and the vision. Have your son um, develop or, or daughter develop their talent at an earlier age and you don't want them to be in the mix, then fine, do it that way. If you feel like you, you want your son to become socialized earlier, maybe he's a homeschooled or home homeschooled person and, you know, they they want to get the social aspect out of sports just as much as anything, you might throw your son or daughter in that mix. So I think it, there's no cookie cutter approach to, to this at all.
0: Definitely. And you are a coach yourself. You found multiple success on the high school and college level. As a coach, what are some things that you like to implement with your players, maybe on the court and off the court, maybe life lessons, just anything like that that you like to um, instill in all your players?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I think the first thing I want my my kids to know is that um, I'm going to coach them from a holistic standpoint. Um, I'm going to coach them both on and off the court. I'm not just looking at them as a basketball player. I'm looking at them um, as a, you know, for, for young black man um, for the most part. And I want to help to help them develop positive qualities that go beyond um playing sports. So, um that's where I think I've had a lot of success with my in my coaching career and that allows me to also coach them hard on the court because they sense that, you know, when he coaches me hard, he's not coaching from a standpoint of anger, he's coaching from a standpoint of love where he he just wants me to, and I'm speaking, you know, obviously for the kids, they, I think they know that I want them, I'm just pushing them to exceed sometimes their own limits, their own mental limits um, that they put on themselves. So that's the standpoint I come from. I, I also try to be a teacher and a mentor just as much as I am a coach. Definitely. And speaking of mentorship and coaching from a place of love, I know that you've worked with
0: Brooklyn Bridge Basketball and mentoring there and teaching kids from a young age using sports to teach them life lessons. Can you talk a little bit about like that and why giving back in that sense is really important to you?
1: Yeah. So I'm the I'm the founder and and I was the founder of Brooklyn Bridge. I started it in the in the '90s. Um, before you probably were born. (laughs) and um pretty much it it is what you said it it was a it was me I was a young guy I, I wanted to explore the basketball game from a from an amateur athletic standpoint after being a grad assistant at Long Island University here in Brooklyn and I just wanted to do something for my community and it blossomed um some of the kids um went on to become division one players and some even went on to become professional athletes. We have, we have a kid right now. Well, he's not even a kid, but we have one of the original members of Brooklyn bridge right now. He's actually the head coach of Villanova university named Kyle Neptune. From that standpoint, it was more, you know, give kids from my my neighborhood and different neighborhoods in Brooklyn, the opportunity to play and it blossomed into something bigger and greater than probably, I imagine, at that time. Now I'm currently the director of New Heights here in Brooklyn, which is which has been around for 20 years. They put out NBA players. Last year I was the eighth-grade national coach, and this year I'll be coaching ninth grade on the EYBL.
0: That's awesome.
1: With that, too, again, um, talk about the EYBL.
0: That's a very high-level circuit, for those who don't know. Um, how big do you think it's been to be able to not only – coach at a high level um from middle school to high school that transitional year but also be able to be on the circuit and they're getting that exposure you know as early as eighth ninth grade be able to see hey you know you have d1 coaches at your gym watching you playing all the top guys you know you're playing guys from the espn top 100 how big is that for your um guys to be able to get that exposure at such an early stage in their basketball careers
1: I mean, it's huge because this is a competitive game. Make no mistake about it. Like, this is not for kids that can't play. This is for kids that are elite. This is not for kids that are just learning how to play and developmental in that developmental phase. This is for elite kids. This is a circuit for elite kids. If you look at the track record of EYBL. A lot of the, those players have gone on to be lottery picks in the NBA. Um, the earlier in this competitive space, the earlier that can get exposure, the better. Um, because, you know, if if, you, if they're not getting the exposure, somebody else is. You know, at New Heights, you know, I, I try to take the the elite players, but also the right fit for me as a coach and the right fit, you know, for our program. Every culture has their own. Every program has their own culture. New Heights is no different. So we just try to take the right pieces and try to win a lot of games.
0: I think that transitions perfectly into my next question. You talk about the right fit. Again, you're on um, with a team like New Heights or some of your different high school teams that you've coached or even Long Island, where you have guys who all are capable of doing a lot of things. How do you get guys to buy into different roles and, you know, coming together for the team's success?
1: Um, first is, is- – what you just said it's about the team um you know as a coach you know i am i'm not naive they all have their own individual agendas and that's fine i always tell them we we have to be almost like wu-tang clan (laughs) wu-tang clan was a rap group where everybody ate you know you had method man who became a high successful rapper you had raekwon you had ghostface killer and they all form one conglomerate. And that's how, you know, that's how we have to move. We have to move as one. Individually, you can shine under under my umbrella. But the most important thing for me is, you know, we can only shine if we win. And we can only win if we play a lot of defense and we're tough. So, you know, those are things that I try to focus on as a coach. And, you know, for the most part, it's has worked for me.
0: Definitely. you talk about defense. So would you say that, again, as a coach, as a recruiter, would you say that defense is something that stands out to you on all levels, or is that something that, you know, for the kids who maybe they're in high school right now who might be trying to figure out their role and how to get noticed, would you say defense is something that coaches pay big attention to?
1: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, coaches that want to win, they do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, winning. I mean, defense wins championships. That's the motto that I've gone on for years. Um, You know, I think Pat Riley said it. You know, many coaches have said it that were successful. And I just follow that formula. I, I believe in defense. I don't think it's something you can pretend if you're a coach. You can't just turn it on and turn it off. Definitely. Um, and for me with defense comes conditioning, you know, guys have to be in tip top shape because I like to, you know, I like to defend full court. I like to be physical definitely. and by being physical, they have to be in the weight room. So all definitely. of those things matter for me. And, um,
0: definitely. And again, you've been a coach, you've been a um, scout, but now you're also an author. Can you tell us a little bit about your book and just kind of what led
1: you to, um, want to write as well and you know share your kind of secret formula with other people it's called a a free game a parent's guide to navigating black and brown youth or children through youth sports and beyond the book is pretty much a um, composite of questions that uh, have been been asked of me over the years by parents of different generations of parents they've asked what does an nba scout do what are they looking for Um, Coach, how can I get to this elite high school? Coach, how do I choose an agent? So I'm answering those questions and more in the book. The beyond part speaks to what's going on in the Black community as it pertains to sports. I'm a huge promoter of HBCUs. I don't think that, you know, youth coaches have done a good job of promoting HBCUs enough. Let's make that a possible destination on your recruiting, you know, on your recruiting journey. When they come recruit you, let's make sure that, you know, maybe we have a a Howard on there um, that you can look at to go along with Iona College. I'm specifically and unapologetically telling kids, especially Black and brown kids, to look at the staffs of of coaching, of the coaching staffs. You know, I'm not saying every coach has, the head coach has to be Black, but I am saying that there needs to be some people that look like us on the staff when we're in these states and we don't know much about the cultural breakdown of the state or we don't know much about what goes on campus. At least we have somebody that we can talk to, we can relate to. So those are some of the things that I'm pinpointing in the book. It will be, be available for pre-order the day after Thanksgiving.
0: Definitely can't wait to read. And I think that you just made an excellent point right there. And you're not going to turn down, you know, a power five off or anything like that. But, you know, to still at least be able to, hey, go take that visit on HBCU. Hey, go talk to that coach, you know, just go see what it's about and, you know, make the best decision for, you know, your personal career, professional career, et cetera. And then, like you said, just having someone who looks like you, you know, even if you aren't going to HBCU or going wherever, you know, hey, finding a coach who looks like you kind of understands where you're coming from and might understand understand you know you're not just here to help me win games but you know you're a person so I think right. that was an amazing point and I guess my final question is just if you could have you could have one thing that you could tell yourself you know back when you were coming up what would it be and maybe what's one person who's kind of really influenced you throughout your career to help you kind of shape your morals and some of your principles
1: well it depends on what part of the time we're talking about when I'm looking at my younger self <laughs> my younger self when I was in my 20s I would have, have told him, to, quite honestly, to to stop drinking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd have told him some things like that, to stay in shape, <laughs> to to be focused, you know. Um, I feel like I got more focus, and I'm just being candid, I got focused with my life more so in my late 20s. That's when I pretty much started finding myself. And I would tell myself to keep staying on the course, of this basketball world, you know, you're going to exceed and, and succeed. People that have been influential professionally, for, for the first person that's been the most influential is my mother. Um, that song, Dear Mama, plays in my head all the time from Tupac. So um, she's influenced me. She's told me early I was special and I had to grow into that. And now I believe that. So that's important, and I think young black men and boys and girls are all special. But sometimes, you know, the world tells us we're not. And when we have that voice, that strong voice in our life, contrary to what you know society tells us, I think that's major. And professionally, I think Coach Haskins, who I work with at LIU, he's my most professional influence. The one that took me in as a young guy when I was a grad assistant, I mimicked everything um, that he did as far as plays and X's and O's and Even some of his motivational tactics, I took some of that. And um, so I have to give him a lot of credit for that and what he taught me.
0: Thank you again, Mr. Green, for your time today. And again, guys, Mr. Green has a great book coming out called Free Game. I think you guys on Amazon. Yep. They're on Amazon. Yep. We will also put that in the description for this podcast. Really, thank you for your time today. And um, sitting down, you know, with me talking. I just learned a lot from you just from this brief interaction. So I really do appreciate you. All right, Black man, keep doing your thing. This summer, Easy Money Sniper Kevin Durant helped produce Basketball County in the Water, which highlighted the elite hoop that take place in the DMV metro area. But specifically my county, Prince George's. Growing up near D.C. and seeing teams in WCAC as well as public school ball, I was blessed to see a lot of great hoopers. And today I bring two of them on. Quinn Mitzi from U.S. UMass Lowell and Christian McDaniel from Hamilton. Welcome, guys, to the show.
2: Pretty good. good.
0: I'm Feeling great, man. Good, good. Now, both these players they have different journeys, but they both are great hoopers. Q was a 4A first-team member his senior year, as well as an all-Met selection. He helped lead Roosevelt to a state championship in his junior year, as well as played with fellow D1 recruits Cameron Brown and Isaiah Gross. Christian played um, at St. John's. Sandy Spring, as well as Mount Zion Prep. He played with the likes of Woody Newton, as well as won a PVAC championship, uh, Sandy Spring. Both these guys very talented Hoopers, and both these guys are my personal friends. So again, I thank you guys again for being here. Let's go right into it. Q, what was it like to be a part of that Roosevelt team and that culture? I mean, you guys won five championships in the last nine years. What is it like to play for Rose, and what does it mean to put that jersey on your back?
3: It means everything, like playing with guys like Cam, Isaiah, my junior Cam Isaiah Kyle Yame some other guys. It was great. Like the camaraderie was always there. Uh, the brotherhood was always there. The mentality. The coaches always preached the Rose mentality, the Rose way. It was always amazing. And like the student, the student section always brought it every home game, every nights.
0: Definitely. And Christian again, you went through a few different schools, but you played in the W.C.A.C. with St. John's. You also were in the P.V.A.C. with Sandy Spring. You even got to do the prep circuit with Mount Zion. What do you say would be your favorite of those three schools?
2: I like both Sandy Spring and Mount Zion, but I think definitely Mount Zion was was my favorite. It was just basketball all the time. I was post-grad, so I didn't even have like a schedule because I already graduated. It was just basically wake up, eat breakfast, go to practice, go back to the room. And then we were just there and we had an evening workout and that was pretty much our day. So I liked that a lot. And then it was real cool. The coaches were real cool there. You
0: played at Mountain Mary's. You played now in Massachusetts at um, UMass Lowell. What would you say is maybe the biggest difference about going out of state and just kind of maybe like how they play ball out there, just adjusting to life outside the DMV?
3: Well, DMV hoops is one of a kind, so it's always different going to other places. At home, like we more, like I said, we more gritty, we more we the origin of hoops. It's it's a little different coming out here and playing out here. But uh I was blessed to play with a lot of guys from my area from the from that PG County that D.C. area, Virginia area. Bring some of that, that, that sauce, that swagger here.
0: And Christian, you were able to play with um, Woody Newton at Mount Zion Prep, one of the better players coming out of the area at the time. What do you think maybe was something that You learned off the court from Woody or something about maybe his mindset or something like that that you took away and you've added to your personal resume or your personal workout regime.
2: Before I had met him, I kind of thought like the only way you could get better is by working out and working with coaches or trainers or this or that. But the thing about I learned from him was he wasn't that big on like a whole bunch of going to a whole bunch of workouts, but he would work on his game like he would just go play, but he would just work on stuff like he would see somebody do something that was effective. He would go play three on three or whatever, five on five and just do it. And I mean, so that was kind of one thing, and I feel like that was even more effective than sometimes working out in a in a closed space because it's like it's like it's it's more real, and that was kind of the one thing that that kind of helped that helped my game because I was a lot more focused on rigid training and working out with trainers and finding the right trainer, finding the right coach, and sometimes you just gotta go play, and that was what he did really good.
0: Definitely, and then Q, you've had a journey too from your first year to um now. What's kind of been something that you look for when you were doing that process of leaving Mount St. Mary's and what do you look for in a coach in a program that has your best interest and kind of how does that process work from a um recruiting standpoint?
3: Coming from my high school, you know, it was very family oriented and, you know, we was all as one. So I, like when I was being recruited, when I threw my name in the proto, just... Having the family-oriented mentality and just being transparent. Playstyle. Also look for the playstyle, like where I can fit in, where my game will fit in. You know, I like getting downhill. I didn't want to be more so in a system or, like, just trapped to do one thing. That's one of the reasons why I chose low, because it was like, you know, the coaches, very family-oriented. The way they play, I feel like it fits my playstyle.
0: Definitely. And this is a question for both of you again. Both of you guys are super athletic guys. You guys both can jump out the gym. But one thing I've noticed about both you guys is sometimes when you guys play, whether it's in, you know, just practice or runs, you kind of work on maybe taking more jump shots and stuff like that and not just dunking the whole time. Why do you guys do that? And kind of how does that help your game by like when you're playing guys, especially guys, you know, you can dunk on the whole time or you can get to the rim easily. Why do you guys work on your jumpers and stuff like that more?
2: I think at least for like for me, especially in the off season, it's like a time to like where you're working on getting better. So you don't necessarily want to do stuff that you already can do. And that's a big thing for me. And then also a lot of times the summer hoops aren't the same like they don't they don't simulate what you're going to see during the season like people don't play help side defense the same way people don't rotate the same way and if I if I'm playing in the summer and I get a rip I could get all the way to the rim and dunk it but in the in the season it's going to be a pull-up jump shot it's going to be a float or it's going to be this or that and so it's kind of just it's kind of just better for your game long term if you work on that if you stay working on that the whole time
3: yeah I would say the same like open gym and in the season playing, it, it ain't the same. Like, it might be, like, offensively, like, I got a lot of guys doing what they do, but, like, defensively, it ain't going to be there. So, like, like Chris said, you might have to shoot a float or pull up or...
0: And, the, um, again, you guys have played basketball in DMV for a very long time. Who's maybe some of the best players you guys have played with, whether it be um, high school, middle school, AAU, as well as maybe some of the best players you guys have played against? And, you know, do you guys look forward to playing against top-level talent and stuff? Like, does that is something in you guys' head kind of spark, like, hey, this is one of those top guys, or this is someone who the media says is a great guy? Like, you know, I want to give it my all, this game, where you kind of come into every game with the same mentality.
3: You definitely come into it with the same mentality. Like I said, like, playing in the DMV, it's a lot of great talent. So, like, a lot of guys go high major, mid-major, low-major, or whatever the level is. Like, I feel like we have a, a, a great level of talent at home. So it's like, you know, these guys, you work out with them, you see them at the rec, you see them. So it's like, it's just more of a competitive thing than, a, oh, I'm out of, you know what I'm
2: saying? Yeah, I would say the same thing. It's kind of like, no matter who you go against, it's like, you kind of already know, like, I've already played against this level of talent before. So it's kind of like, to answer the first part, best players that I played with, you already said Woody, he's one of them. I would say Casey Morcell at NC State and Darius Maddox at Virginia Tech. Darren Buchanan Jr., who we went to Wilson, who's also at Virginia Tech. We played in a couple of DC events this summer. For hardest person I've played against, probably I played against Trevor Keels. and he plays for the Knicks now. So that was probably that was probably the big, the toughest guy I played against.
0: And then recently, I'm sure you guys know by now, um, Bronny came to the DMV. He played at Wise High School. Played the math, though. It was a great game. Um, he got, again, I'm a huge Barney fan, but he got dunked on. He got strapped. I mean, a lot of people outside the DMV didn't know that we had hoopers like that. But, I mean, I'm sure you guys know that's a normal thing here. How big is it for the DMV to be able to get exposure outside of here and just what does that mean on a um you know more progressive scale like do you guys think now that we're getting more media attention with like teams like Team Durant DC Premier, the three Stripe circuit they're going crazy and you know I think a few years ago like all the major circuits were won by DMV teams just how big is that for recruiting the DMV in programs whether you know it's d1 D2 D3 NAIA just recruiting outside the DMV
3: oh it's great. Like I said, uh, we got a couple of DMV guys on my team. So it's like a lot of the talent, a lot of the coaches are starting to open their eyes and go get some of the talent, some of the best talent from the DMV. Seeing Bronny and him come to like a school that I've always played in, in high school wise, was great. Like seeing him come down to the DMV play against some of the some of the best young kids in our area. And like I said, the math the hell they own. Unfortunately, the game got ended early. It was a, it was a neck and neck game. I, I'm, I'm glad to see that we getting that exposure that recognition that we need
2: and that like when it comes to like exposure and stuff a lot of what it is now is is a lot of flashy stuff and it's a lot of like like what what gets the most views and so is and so i feel like it's real important to actually get us to compete with them other teams that are the flashy teams or the teams that get all the views because it's like they may be getting a million views on youtube but we our team just beat them or our team only lost by 2 and they got all these guys that have views or whatever like it was a competitive game like and so it kind of it kind of gives the it kind of tells the point of like, yeah, like we got hoops too that people may not know about.
0: And then with that, I know from Rose, Najee Marshall, as well as Devontae West, they're in the NBA with your school. Obi Toppin from Mount Zion prep. I mean, what is it like to be able to play for programs who you guys have seen NBA players go to and just even NBA players who maybe go to you guys school, just being from the area, guys like Kevin Durant, um, the Grant Brothers, Quinn Cook. Victor, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, how does that make you guys feel knowing that, hey, you guys are coming from the same place that these great players are coming from?
3: It feels great. Like, it kind of, like, growing up seeing guys like that kind of gives you hope. Like, it kind of gives you that, if he could do it, I could do it too mentality. And it's like, just seeing that, it's like a motivational thing. Like, you mentioned Najee, like, Najee was one of the, he's one of my favorite players growing up, like, seventh grade, seeing going to some of the Rose games, and even seeing him play in college. Yeah. So it's just like, seeing guys like that, It's just it gives you that motivation that is like I can do it, too.
2: It's real important that like it's like kids have people to look up to. And uh, it's kind of like kind of like I don't know what you say. Like it gives you hope. And but it's also like it gives you like people that you can like that you can want to be like that are like positive, that are positive people, you know. And so, like, for example, this summer, you mentioned Najee. We had an event at Johnson Middle School in D.C. with the kids that I mentor and Najee talked to one of the kids. Um, for like, I don't know, an hour and like gave him his phone number and they like, they be calling they to talk on the phone and stuff like that. And it's just like, it's, particularly in that area where I do the mentoring program, it's like, it's a whole lot of kids that, um, that need positive, um, examples and kids and guys can be that. And it just and it just creates this environment where there's a bunch of kids wanting to be positive people and positive impacts in, in society. And it just it just creates a great environment.
0: Christian, you're heavily involved with like social justice and stuff off when you're not doing basketball. What is something that you want to do after basketball ends and how can basketball help you get to where you want to go in doing that?
2: So I do I do a, a mentor program for kids in the, in the Congress Park neighborhood of Washington, DC. So I'm I'm real, I'm real big into that and I'm I'm real into helping the youth specifically. So I think basketball is a great way to connect with young kids, boys and girls who just like, especially the younger they are, the more into everything they are. And just kids who want to come out and play basketball. And um, there's a guy that I've been talking to. His name is Jimmy Jenkins, who does, he kind of does the same thing I do, like in terms of mentoring, except on a way bigger scale. He has his own AAU program and stuff. And he coaches basketball, but he also does the events. Like he did that event that Najee was at. Like that was him hosting that event. And so, um, so I mean, something like that, something I've also, I've been in contact with Trayon White, who is a council member for DC, who does a lot of social justice stuff like that. And, I mean, it's just kind of a way where it's like, for me, like using basketball to connect with kids and connect with particularly, um, in this case, the black inner city youth and the and the county youth in Prince George's County in Washington, DC, where basketball is something that can bring kids together and basketball is something that uh, a lot of people can use to connect with each other.
0: Exactly. And then Q, you have Chopstick Fam, the brand, as well as something I want to ask you about. You write um something on most of your shoes when you were in high school. What does that mean to you having that on your shoe? And Q, you just tell us a little bit about without going you know to anything too personal, but just what that means to you to be able to write someone's name on your shoe and play for someone bigger than yourself?
3: Uh, it means everything. Like one of the main reasons I started Chopstick Fam is, of course, I want to grow it to a bigger platform and stuff like that. But it's for the kids in the Greenbelt community that I, I grew up in, and the Upmarble community, just communities like that. And so I just wanna, I wanna host events like like summer camps, things of that nature. Just you know, yeah. just to give back. Like, and I eventually want to put a scholarship in my granddad's name. So I wanna, I wanna do little things like that for the for the community, for the youth. Just just yeah. to get back some of the things I didn't have growing up. Give back to the kids. So it's just
0: I appreciate you guys so much. Christian, one of my longtime friends. Um, We actually know each other since we were one. So again, a great friend of mine Q. He was a rival of my school in um, high school. So I used to hate playing him because bros would beat us a lot, but always been a very solid dude, a great guy. So I just want to say thank you guys again for um, taking time to come on the show. That's a wrap for today's episode with these two great interviews from Christian and Q, as well as an interview with the amazing Mr. Green. It's been a great episode. To all the audience, thank you guys for listening. huge thank you to Mr. Roden, Parker Owens, and the ESPN Digital Audio Content Team. Get all your Roden Fellows Podcast episodes, HBCU Podcasts, by subscribing to the Anscape Listen tab on the ESPN app. Make sure to join us next time for another HBCU Podcast. And don't forget to go on the Anscape website to look at the latest news and insight.